Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Today on Church of the Week, Vertical Church of San Jose, and as the name implies, they're headed in an upward or heavenly trajectory, but there's also a lot of horizontal ministry taking place as well. Joining us is Pastor Dr. Mike Thorburn, a immigrant to the United States from Canada. He uh, came to the Bay Area with his wife Dawn and three children. Pastor Mike has a Doctor of Biblical Studies degree from Masters International Divinity School, a Master of Theological Studies degree from Heritage Theological Seminary, a Bachelor of Theology degree from London Baptist Bible College, and uh, just to make sure that he's well-rounded, he has an Environmental Chemistry degree in Air, Water, Resources, Field Technology. And Pastor Mike, great to have you join us on this edition of Church of the Week. Thanks, and we may as well get out of the way that I'm just finishing a second doctoral degree from the Master's Seminary in Los Angeles in expository preaching, just because I didn't have enough to do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a fan of education, and that's fantastic. You know, I think in, in so many ways that speaks to a sense of that we should always be growing and learning and absorbing and taking in more, and, you know, I think that's not only true educationally, but I think that's also true relationally speaking, especially as it comes to a study in God's Word and getting to know Him more by spending more time with Him, would you think? Oh, I agree completely. In fact, there's so many good Christian colleges and universities around. My theory was I like to read, so why not take courses and get credit for that reading? (laughs) I love it. And, of course, that goes right to the heart of our conversation today. And I want to spend a little time talking, of course, about your ministry there at Vertical Church in San Jose. But as we head into that, I want to first begin by spending some time giving our listeners an opportunity to know a bit more about you. I alluded to the fact that you and your spouse are transplants from Canada. Why does somebody leave a beautiful place like Canada to come to San Jose? That's a great question. I I came to Christ in university and my upbringing was totally not Christian, and we actually moved around a lot as a child. In fact, my wife and I were just moving into another home in the next few weeks. This will be like my 40th move since you know my childhood. So we've always had a kind of a nomadic lifestyle, and we like to move. So we were actually on an island in northern Nova Scotia for seven years before we came to California. Cape Breton Island is probably one of the most unreached English-speaking parts of North America, 0.5% Christian. And we were there for seven years and had a heart for evangelism. And when the opportunity came with the Christian Missionary Alliance to redevelop a dying church here in San Jose, Uh, we said, why not? If this is where the Lord wants us to go, that's where we're going to go. And so that's how we ended up in San Jose, a call to come and plant. Um, And it was actually a redevelopment of a dying church. Fascinating. And I love the focus of the sense of not only reinstilling life into an existing church that's struggling, but also perhaps the broader perspective of evangelism and the real sense of being on the mission field. And I think it's interesting because a lot of people in the United States think that when we speak of the mission field today, we're speaking of going to some far-flung place where they don't speak any English. We need to have a passport and uh, learn a whole new culture. But one of the perhaps most challenging mission fields today is not just here in the United States, but in specific here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And that is absolutely right. Here's what's interesting. Moving from Canada... The Bay Area is the most Christian place we've ever lived. 
and most people hear that. And what, what's your response to that, Craig? My response to that is, wow. <laughs> so for us, we can't believe how many Christians there are in the Bay Area. However, while we meet a lot of Christians and there are a lot of churches, we can become very insulated to the simple fact that we are surrounded by millions of unreached people. And so this really is the world coming to the Bay Area with the opportunity, if we're willing, to hear Christ. For visiting today with Pastor Dr. Mike Thorburn, he is teaching pastor at the Vertical Church in San Jose. And uh, Pastor Mike, let's kind of um, turn a corner here for a moment, if we can, and, and speak specifically to ministry at Vertical Church. I was struck by the fact, and it kind of confirmed in our conversation today, but I was struck about the fact that you, you could kind of also be known as the unchurch. Um, you stipulate on your website that the church presents unapologetic teaching, unashamed adoration, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and unconditional love. Maybe you can take a moment and kind of expound upon that and give listeners a sense of what the experience, if they're new to the Bay Area, they're looking for a church home, what kind of experience that they might expect to encounter at the Vertical Church? Well, we chose the name Vertical. Um, Daniel Block, in his book, A Theology of Christian Worship, he just makes this simple little statement. He says, all true worship is essentially vertical that our, the focus of our worship should be upward, that we want to worship God, and we want to worship God in His fullness, in His glory, in His greatness, that He and He alone is worthy of our worship. So out of that came our five vertical values. Uh, first of all, unapologetic preaching. Now, what we mean by that is that the Bible is the Word of God, and you know we just preach it in a way that this is what God has said. We try not to be forceful with people. Um, a lot of people who did not grow up in church have told me that my preaching is like sitting with a good friend in their living room and just talking about what God would have us to do with our lives. So the Word of God is very real. We don't we teach verse by verse. We don't jump over sections. Uh, we believe that the Bible teaches that man is sinful and that we are under condemnation. However, it also equally teaches that God loves us and has a plan for us, and that Christ, as the Savior of the world, wants to redeem people and wants to see people walking in newness of life. So unapologetic preaching is simply the Bible is the Word of God, it and it alone. And so we teach the Bible every Sunday. Unashamed adoration is that we do need to lift high the name of Jesus through worship, that the focus of our worship is not... My wife once said to me, she said, Mike, sometimes when I visit a church, it's like the only people up on the stage are the beautiful people, the perfect people. And that doesn't really represent the Church of God. So when we talk about unashamed adoration, we're not focused on performance and perfection. We're focused on genuine worship. So we want to simply lift high. We want our focus to be on the cross. We want to go to the throne on Sunday mornings. And I wouldn't say that we have any one style of music, except the music that we sing is Christ-exalting and Christ-glorifying. We have a beautiful Savior, and we want, you know, the Christian church is a singing church, so we sing. Unceasing prayer, I would say that the most important ministry in the church is prayer. But then I'd also say that the most neglected ministry in the church is prayer. So we want to help people understand that if a home has four walls— we want preaching to be one wall, worship to be another wall, 
prayer to be another wall and then evangelism to be the, the other wall. Or maybe you could think of them as pillars of a building, because if you pull away one pillar, the building is not as strong as it should be. So unafraid witness is simply sharing Christ with others. Um, our goal is to scatter the seed. Our goal is to tell people, um, I think as Bill Hybels once put it years ago, he said, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And so then you have unconditional love uh, that we, I like people and we love people. And uh, if you're looking for a church, then you want a church that teaches the Word of God, that wants to disciple your children, but also a church that, that will accept you for where you're at and love you. But then we also understand that unconditional love also means that, hey, there are some things that, that Christ is calling us to do. Are you willing to, to do that? And Pastor Mike, if folks would like to find out more information about the Vertical Church, I understand you meet for Sunday morning worship at 10 a.m. Where can they get more information? Well, you can go to our website, verticalchurchsanjose.org. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page. You can go to our Instagram page. And so if you, if you look for and probably the best way to show up on a Sunday morning. Uh, we, like you said, we meet Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. Um, I, I like to joke and say we start at 10 o'clock sharp and then finish at 11 o'clock dull because uh, I'm the preacher. But, <laughs> but, uh, but our, our, our focus is fellowship. Uh, we want to encourage people. Uh, we are a multicultural, multigenerational church. Uh, our big thing is, and, and I'd love to talk about children's ministry and why it's important that you not allow your children to basically be shuttered away or taken away into something that only fixates on their age. Could, could we talk about that? Absolutely. I think you're, you're really getting to the heart of, I think, not only a, a, a greater sense of bonding in community, but I've also always wondered when there's sort of this sudden dismissal in some churches, and I think, you know, shouldn't there be some mentoring taking place here as opposed to, you know, trying to kind of, in, in one sense, and, and, I, and I say this perhaps with the want of choosing a better word, but almost as if we kind of dumb things down uh, based on the age group. I'll tell you a story. Um, a few years ago, I had a, a single mom call me. She said, I have a son in eighth grade, and I was wondering what your church has for eighth grade boys. And I said, well, we actually don't break it down. Uh, we have a men's group in our church, and your son would be in our men's group. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, we have elementary school boys, we have middle school boys, high school boys, college boys, um, you know, single adults, uh, we have older men, and we, we'll do, we often do stuff together. And, and she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, we'll have a men's breakfast. And your son would be part of our men's breakfast. And she goes, well, I only want him hanging around with boys his age. And I said, well, I don't argue with people. But I said, but, well, let me just, let me ask you, at what age do boys start to experiment with pornography? At what age do they start to be introduced to things on YouTube and computers? At what age do they maybe find out about, you know, drugs and alcohol and different things like that? It's when they're in middle school, and now it's actually getting younger. It's probably more fourth grade and fifth grade. But I said, the reason we do men's ministry this way is we want your boy to understand that he's a man. And an eight, a boy in eighth grade is, a, is at 13 is a man. He's becoming a man. 
And we want him to be around boys his age, but also boys a little bit older, but also men who will say to him, you're a man, we like you, you're part of our group. To be part of our group, you don't have to drink, you don't have to do drugs, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to pretend to be what you know you shouldn't be. And, and it's that mentoring that's, that more, more is caught than taught. Uh, it's the same with reaching unchurched secular men, that, that more is caught than taught with men. And, and we, sometimes I think we, we think of church as sit and soak, but it's not. Uh, sometimes it's as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. And so when we do children's ministry, we have children's ministry from kindergarten down, and then we have um, another Bible teaching class during the sermon that's up to fifth or sixth grade. But we give parents the opportunity that if they want, their children can sit through the main service. But especially once children get to middle school, we want them to understand that they, they're, not, they're not the youth department. They are the church. And so we don't have a separate middle school program. And then we don't have the high school students leave. And then we don't have the college students leave. Uh, because we want our children to understand that they are the church and they're part of the church. And, and we don't create a separate middle school culture. We don't create a separate high school culture. And, and if you look carefully, what you'll see is that a lot of churches are building all these consumer-driven, demographic-driven cultures within their church. And then when young adults once they jump out of middle school ministry into high school ministry into maybe college ministry, once they leave home, they suddenly look around and they say, um, I don't fit into this church. But they were always there, and yet that's not their church. Their church was always something with only people their age, only things that fascinated them. And I, I really believe that the number one reason, and I think all kinds of studies from Christianity Today and from different groups have shown that the number one thing your child needs is an adult, other than their parent, who takes a spiritual interest in them. And trust me, it shouldn't be only a youth pastor, because youth pastors come and go, college pastors come and go. Um, I think that if you want to do some um, preventative, and I guess would call it proactive versus reactive. A lot of parents are reactive. Once there is a problem, they think, I need to do something. We like to say to parents, be proactive. Start to think, what does your child's life look like? And so we want them to be, we want children and youth to be part of the church. I know the name of every child in our church. I know the name of every young person. Uh, we let our young people serve in as many ministries as, as they want to. And then they're part of a church, not a separate department of the church. I love that because it really focuses on not just that sense of mentoring and what it means to, to build men, to build women of God, but it really goes back to the core point that God has called us to do. And I think it's interesting. If you look in Scripture, the word Christian is mentioned maybe a dozen or so times. I don't know the exact number, but disciple and discipleship is mentioned hundreds of times. And that's what we're really called to do as believers is to disciple others. 
and clearly you're going to have that experience at the Vertical Church. Services may begin at 10 a.m., but as you've eavesdropped on our conversation today with Pastor Dr. Mike Thorburn, uh, I'm sure you also would agree with me that there'll be nothing dull at all sitting under the teaching and pulpit ministry of Pastor Mike. So we invite you Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., the Vertical Church in San Jose. More information available on the web at verticalchurchsanjose.org. That's verticalchurchsanjose.org. And Pastor Mike Thorburn, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, Craig, really nice to talk with you. And, uh, Thanks for, thanks, thanks for letting me blab on and on, and thanks for the questions. Good questions this morning. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's take our Bibles. Let's uh, turn to the book of Exodus and, and be ready for our message. Uh, uh, we have a number of things to pray for this morning. Uh, first of all, thank you to, uh, to Jerry and Daniel and Rich for leading us in our singing this morning. Uh, children are dismissed, and so nursery is now open. Also, um, Collicuts are teaching the day, and so uh, children as you go. So, see everyone heading out to their class. And so, uh, items for prayer. I, th- I think one of the big things for prayer. Pray for Michael and Audrey Fleming. Um, Audrey's brother, her only her only brother, her only sibling, was killed this week in a motorcycle accident. And so, uh, obviously, uh, we need to be in prayer for Michael and Audrey and for Audrey's mom and, and dad and family. And so, a very, very devastating and sudden loss. Let's continue to pray for the Davis family. Uh, little Nora is now home from the hospital. Uh, still has a feeding tube, but is doing well. And so, pray for Kevin and Sarah and for little Eleonora Joy. Uh, Ken, Ken Moyer is driving 14 hours today. He uh, drove out to New York, um, and now on the way back, he's uh, putting in a long day, and so we want to pray for him. And Ken, if you're watching, we're praying for you, and also for the Davises who are watching and, and the Flemings. Let's pray for Yvonne Givens, Marcus's mom. And so she has some health concerns, and she'll be doing treatments. And then there's my nephew Jason in Canada, who uh, is 35, three young children, and he is battling cancer as well, going through chemotherapy. Uh, let's pray for those recovering from COVID. We still have um, people outside of our church that, that we know who, even though they're young and healthy, they're still having some side effects from COVID. And let's just pr- continue to pray for our church and our growth and our children's ministries and our families. Just a number of things to pray for. And so let's, let's do our scripture reading and then let's, let's pray together. Please turn to Exodus chapter 19. We're in the book of Exodus this morning, the second book of the Bible, and Exodus chapter 19, and we'll be reading verses 9 to 20. Exodus chapter 19, verses 9 to 20. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you. And may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. 
For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall then come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. This is the word of God. Uh, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. And so let's pray. Father, as we come before the book of Exodus this morning, as we, as we stand before your testimony and your word, I just want to thank you that you are God, that you are glorious, you are sovereign, you are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. And as we come before you this morning, we bring before you our, our request for forgiveness our need for mercy and grace each and every day. We come before you as a church, praying for people in our church family. We pray for Audrey and the Fleming family. We pray for the Davis family, especially for little Nora. We pray for safety for those who are traveling. We pray for those who are undergoing treatments and and have health concerns and struggles. We pray for anyone in our church who is, is just going through difficulty what could be financial, could be job stress. Lord, whatever is happening, thank you that you know, that you care, that you are able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Father, we pray for our church. We pray for our children's ministries. We pray for our families. Lord, bind us together in Christ. May we together seek to become closer to Christ that we might understand that he is the one who loves us. He is the one who died for us. He is the one who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So thank you that we serve a glorious and wonderful Savior. Thank you that you love us. May we rejoice in the ministry of you as Father, your Son as Savior, your Spirit as the one who indwells and empowers us. So thank you, Father. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. And so as we open our Bibles, may we not just open our Bibles, may we also open our hearts this morning. In Exodus chapter 19, we read of this experience where the people are trembling. There's a trumpet blast and the Lord descends. But I want you 
to go now to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Exodus chapter 19, we see Mount Sinai, a mountain. The place where God said, come and worship at this mountain. We see Mount Sinai wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. We see the smoke of it going up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembles greatly. And there's the sound of the trumpet, and the people are afraid. But now, go with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, We do not go to a mountain. You can go back to verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This idea of of God in his ominous power calling us to worship. Notice what it says. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. As we go to the book of Exodus this morning... I want you to understand that you may have read the book of Exodus. The first five books of the Bible written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all written together, all written with a purpose. Uh, This was not, I think I'll write a book and I'll call it Genesis. Oh, I've got a few more thoughts. I'll call it Exodus. And then Moses says, maybe a short time later, oh, you know what, I thought up a few more things. I'll write Leviticus. This is God giving Moses these five books called the law, the Torah. And each book has a specific purpose. The book of Genesis, uh, where did we come from? Where are we going? Where did all this come from? But more important... Even the best people need a Savior. Even people placed in a garden, sinless, need a Savior because they will rebel against God. And God will always be good. This is the book of Genesis, but now we're in Exodus. And you think you know Exodus. In fact, if I was to say to you, uh, what does the book of Exodus teach? Well, you might very simply say, well, this is where we talk about Moses. This is where we talk about the plagues. This is where we talk about Pharaoh and escaping from Egypt. And you would not be completely wrong, but you wouldn't be as right as you could be. So let's talk about the book of Exodus. Things you need to know. This is our second in our series on the first five books of the Bible. Last week, things you need to know from Genesis... But this is things you need to know from Exodus. The print is kind of small, but I wanted it all up on the screen. But notice how the book of Exodus is laid out. Notice this. The birth of Moses, chapters 1 and 2. 
This is Moses, and he's placed into an ark. That's literally the word that is used. That little thing that they made for him is called an ark. What does that take us back to? Just as Noah was placed into an ark, Moses is placed into an ark, placed into the water, and he is delivered. But we have the birth of Moses. We have the call of Moses. Then we have conflict with Pharaoh. And then we have the exodus from Egypt. We have the Red Sea crossing. Uh, The Red Sea, this was an actual sea. It was deep. We have the journey to Sinai, chapters 16 to 18. So notice that the first 18 chapters of Exodus, you're probably very familiar with. Have you heard of Moses? Did you know he was placed in a little ark that was put on the, the river? Did you know that there were plagues? Did you know that Pharaoh, Moses said, let my people go, and Pharaoh said, not on your life? Do you know that they crossed the Red Sea? Yes. But notice that the majority of the book of Exodus, more than half of the book of Exodus, is not about Moses or deliverance from Egypt. It's about deliverance from sin. Notice Verse 19, the law and ceremonies, 19 to 24. The tabernacle blueprint, the golden calf. Three chapters on a calf that was made of gold imitating the false worship of Egypt. And then the tabernacle dedication. If there is something you need to understand, it's that God wants us to understand worship. Yes, there is deliverance. Yes, I pray that you have come to Christ. I pray that you have asked for forgiveness and that Christ is your Savior and that you've come to Him and said, Christ, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and cleanse me and forgive me and I want to be your follower. But, but your deliverance is the first part of the journey. But for the rest of your life, the journey that you are on is the journey of worship. And just like the golden calf is suddenly inserted right in the middle of the law and the ceremonies and and a place to worship God being designed, right in the middle of this is this horrific idolatry. You need to understand that just as you've come to Christ, you don't just stay at the cross. You need to, to live the Christ life. And you need now to understand that temptation will call you but you need to truly worship God. How else can we describe the book of Exodus? Well, two ways. Here's the first one. Chapters 1 to 18, deliverance from oppression. But verses 19 to 40, preparation for worship. What does the book of Exodus teach? Are you a true worshiper? Have you been delivered? Yes, Thank you, Lord. But are you worshiping the true God of the Bible? I like this way. The second approach. Verses 1 to 8, chapters 1 to 18, getting Israel out of Egypt, but more important, chapters 19 to 40, getting Egypt out of Israel. This is what Genesis was all about. This is what Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is what the first five books are truly all about. 
that yes, you need to be delivered from your sin. Yes, you need a Savior. But now, how do we live in the world but not be of the world? How do we walk by faith, not by sight? How do we live for Christ and not for self? And so just as Genesis was showing us that they could leave, but they needed to get Egypt out, you can take the boy out of the country, but can you get the country out of the boy? More important, you can get Israel out of Egypt, but can you get Egypt out of Israel? This is what the first five books of the Bible are teaching. And so what do we say about the book of Exodus that we need to know? I have four things I want to say this morning in the time that we have, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's table together. First of all, I want to say this. Number one, when it comes to the book of Exodus, many of us have a children's Sunday school approach to this book of the Bible. We always think Moses, but we need to think worship. We always think Moses, the plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, but you need to think worship. You need to think true worship, pure worship, the lure of false worship. You need to understand that in the book of Exodus, God is going to say specifically, this is how you approach me. This is what it takes to please me. There's no mystery. There's no guessing. God is so specific. You need to see the commandments, that they are there for your good and your blessing. You need to understand that there is a golden calf in every person's life. It may not be a golden calf. It might be a silver Lexus. It may not be a golden calf. It might be a white home on a certain street. We always think Moses, but we need to think worship. The commandments, the golden calf, the tabernacle. Why so much devoted? Why? Why 25 to 31, chapters 25 to 31 of Exodus are the tabernacle blueprint. Why is God so concerned about where they worship and how that place of worship is constructed? I I remember coming here in 2002, uh, just a small group of people, and I met with a church planting director. And I remember coming into this room with him and him saying, looking at the organ and saying, well, the organ needs to go. And looking up at the cross and saying, the cross needs to go. And we're going to completely redesign this room. We're going to take out all the pews. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I just listened. I had the most wonderful, wonderful woman I met who was the admin. She was a widow. Her husband had died of age. She had a son who was in high school just starting college, he said, you need to fire her. And I just listened. I'm still here. The cross is still here. The organ is still here. I mean, I could live without the organ. I'll I'll be honest about that. I love the organ, but I can live without the organ. But I'm, I'm not taking down the cross. I'll let you know that, okay? Um... Every time I start, when every time someone says, oh, Mike, I just love your church, I say, no, it's not my church. That's why the cross is there. It's his church. Um, there is a thing that comes with time. There is a thing that lasts with time. The word of God lasts. People's opinions, people's 
methods and trends. They don't last. And what we need to understand is that we think Moses, but Moses was just a man. Exodus is about worshiping the true and living God. How do we come into his presence? And how do we please him? And what should we do? This is what we see in the book of Exodus. The commandments, the golden calf, the tabernacle. What is calling you back to Egypt? What is calling you back to before you were in Christ? What is calling you back? What is stealing your affection? Is there, is there a golden calf? Is there an idol? Is there something that you love more than Christ in your life? Exodus is a reminder of what God has done and what we need to do for worship. Number two is similar but different. Number two, we need to see the God who wants to be known. When you think of the book of Exodus and God revealing himself, you're probably, if, if you think for a minute, you're probably thinking of a place and Moses has to take his sandals off and what does God say to him? Take your shoes off for where you are standing is what? Holy ground. When you think of God revealing himself, we often think of the burning bush. But there's so much more in the book of Exodus. So much more. There is the pillar of fire at night. There is the cloud by day. That is the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is not just a cloud. This is not just a pillar of fire. This is the Holy Spirit. We need to see the Lord's presence at the tabernacle, at the mountain. But most important, what we need to understand is that God is saying specifically, I want you to come into my presence. Pagans and pagan worship at the time that Moses wrote these books, 1446 B.C., 1440 B.C., right after the Exodus, they did not know. They often wrote... I've done something wrong to offend my God, but I don't know what. I've done something wrong to offend my God, but I don't know how to make it right. I don't know if he's happy. I don't know if he's angry. The pagan religions at the time left people uncertain. We have a God who tells us, this is what you do. It's, it's as simple as, as, let me pick up, Marcus, if you really want to make me happy this morning, hold your Bible up so everyone can see it. Go ahead. So Moses, if you want to make me happy, see, see how, now Moses, did you make me happy? Yes. See how simple that is? Now Moses, if you want to make me unhappy, rip your Bible up into pieces. And you say, Lord, I can't do that. And I'll say, thank you, you obeyed me. See, we, we think the law is there and it's boring and it's tedious, but you need to put yourself, this nation that has come out of Israel or out of Egypt, this nation that was in bondage, this nation that saw cats worshipped and dogs worshipped and this worshipped, the sun was worshipped, Pharaoh was worshipped. The same Pharaoh that was God was the same Pharaoh that beat them and enslaved them and crushed the life out of them. 
And now we have the true and living God saying, do this and you will have life. We need to see the God who wants to be known and He specifically tells you how to be known. He gives us the ten words. Very simply, only worship me. Don't make an image of me. Keep the Sabbath holy. Do this, do this, don't do that. God is very specific. What to do to be right. What to avoid to be blessed. This is the God we worship. We take it for granted. What must I do to be saved, the Philippian jailer said. Well, I would Google that, the Apostle Paul said, and let's see what options there are. And let's find one that suits your lifestyle. That's what we would hear today. I mean, I don't mean to offend you. Um, Let me know if I'm striking a nerve. Um, I mean, I would really love you to come back next week, so please, you know, if I I sound too narrow-minded or too opinionated, uh, please just let me know because the offerings might dip. No. What must I do to be saved, the Philippian jailer said? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We just take it for granted. How specific is our faith? Jesus himself said, I am what? The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We take it for granted. But you think about that, it's liberating. Other people say that's ridiculous. There's not just one way. I'm going to make my own way. I'm going to come up with a different way. I don't like your way. But no, there is incredible liberty in knowing that the God of the universe has created a gate. It's a narrow gate. But he says for all those who come through that gate, there is eternal life. It's not based on your goodness. You'd be left wondering, just how good do I have to be? It's not based on your perfection. There is incredible liberty in knowing that you are a sinner because you can be forgiven by a God who forgives sin. There's incredible freedom in knowing you're not perfect because then you don't have to try to be perfect because there is a God who is perfect and has paid the price. He's the God who wants to be known. Number three. The Lord is a God of details. We, however, are a people of shortcuts. We read from Exodus chapter 19 where the Lord says, Have the people gather at the mountain, and when you hear the trumpet, don't come up the mountain or you'll die. Six weeks have passed since the people made this solemn vow of commitment to God at the mountain. Moses has gone back up on the mountain to be with the Lord. And because he doesn't appear right away, the people conclude that, God is, that Moses has died on the mountain. And what do they do? They make the golden calf. Be still and know that I am God. Be patient. Wait for me. Think of Saul, King Saul, and, and Samuel the prophet says, stay here and wait for me to arrive 
and then we will go to war. What does Saul do? He offers to sacrifice himself in 1 Samuel. To obey is better than sacrifice, Samuel says to him. The Lord is the God of details. We're a people of shortcuts. And we see this in the golden calf. Moses is their leader. He's given them the commandments. He's given them the word of God. They just needed to obey God. But what do they do? They start to sit and soak and sour. And suddenly they're starting to think, you know, that old sinful life we used to live wasn't so bad after all. And what gets me is when Aaron says, the people forced me to do this. And I I took their earrings. I took the earrings off the men, just in case you think men can't wear earrings. And I took the earrings out of their nose in case you think that people shouldn't have earrings in their nose. They did. Isn't that amazing? And they wore, and the men, the priests wore turbans too in the book of Exodus in case you think people can't wear hats in church. I don't know. Um, but the thing is this. Aaron, Moses' brother, has the audacity to say, I threw the earrings into the fire and poof, This golden calf came out. What does that take us back to? Genesis. Where, what does Adam say? It's not my fault. The woman made me do it. It just happened. Notice this theme of our sinfulness. Our desire to rebel against God. Our desire to take shortcuts. Exodus shows us that shortcuts don't work. God will take you. He won't take you around the sea. He'll take you through the sea. He won't take you out of the desert. He'll put you in the desert. But there's always a purpose. Why didn't God just take them from Egypt right up to Jerusalem and say, let's start a church? It's because God has a reason in the details. Because He wants to take the world out of us. How does that apply to your life? Are you trying to take a shortcut? Are you trying to cut corners? Are you trying to say, Lord, I don't want you to refine me. I don't want you to... What? Think of your life. Is there a shortcut that you're tempted to take spiritually? It's a lot of work to get up early in the morning and read your Bible. It's a lot of work to arrange your home around the Lord and to arrange your finances around a biblical understanding of finances. It's a lot of work to allow Christ to transform your life and your marriage. I'd say the hardest thing for me this week is all week long is, Mike, are you loving your wife the way Christ loved the church? Monday, fail. Tuesday, fail. This was my, this was my meditation all week long. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. So easy to take shortcuts. So easy to think, oh, that doesn't apply to me. That's for that guy there. (laughs) That guy's not even married yet. So it applies to him rather than me still. But, But the point is this. We are a people of shortcuts. Let's keep going. Number four. This is the glorious joy of Exodus. Those who come to Jesus can approach the throne of grace with confidence. 
Exodus 19, the mountain, the people come, the people tremble, the people are afraid. The people say, Moses, you talk to God, we don't want to talk to God. There's a lot happening here. Take a look at this. Exodus chapter 19, we read 9 to 20, this is, these are verses 21 and 22. The Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the same God of the New Testament and the Old Testament. There are not different gods. But does this sound like our God? The Lord said to Moses, this is like the disciples saying to Jesus, what are those children doing? Send them away. This is like the disciples saying, Lord, see those people? Do you want, me to, do you want us to throw down you know, fire and lightning from heaven on them? There's something here. See, in the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, you were not saved by sacrifice. You were saved by grace, by faith. And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit gave power to save, just like today. The Holy Spirit gave power for holy living, just like today. However, the outpouring of the Spirit on all people did not happen until Pentecost. This is the prediction of Jesus when he said that out of me will come rivers of living water. And what we see here, notice this, to the people, there was an intimacy, there was a personal relationship with the Lord that the people in the Old Testament could not know. They had to get it secondhand, and they had to do it through the priests, through Moses. Moses, what did God say? Tell us. Notice in verse 22, the priests, they had to still consecrate themselves, or they would perish. But, but there was this difference of relationship. We have this relationship now in the pouring out of the Spirit. I want to take you to another time when there's people at a mountain. This is John chapter 4, and this is a woman at a well. And Jesus is having a conversation with this woman. See, those who come to Jesus can approach the throne of grace with confidence. This woman was a Samaritan, and Samaritan worship was a mixture of the Pentateuch twisted. They, they only believed certain parts of it. So they didn't really worship the true God, but it was kind of a kind of, it's what we would call the kind of Christianity we see in the Bay Area today. They talk about Jesus, but are they really committed to Jesus? They own a Bible, but do they ever read the Bible? They say they love God, but they often love their things more than they love God. And this woman, this Samaritan, was kind of like that. And she says to Jesus, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And this is the mountain that Moses and the people were at. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither... Notice this. Think of the mountain and the shaking and the, and the cloud and the lightning and the thunder and just the fear. And Jesus says, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. 
we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. And what he means by that is that it is from the Word of God, not the twisted Word of God, that you can find life. And Jesus, who now is the fulfillment of all the prophecy of the Old Testament, is now saying, salvation comes through the Messiah, through me. But notice verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Notice this, that there is an emphasis here on true worship. It's not Moses, it's not a person, it's not a pastor, it's not a building. While coming to church is the most important thing you can do, as part of your worship, to come and gather with brothers and sisters in Christ, to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as Hebrews warns us. It's really not. You can't find Christ in a building. You can't find Christ at a place. Christ is there when you come to him in faith, and he fills you and dwells you and lives within you. Jesus says here, that he's looking for true worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Point four was this. Those who come to Jesus can approach the throne of grace with confidence. When we come to Christ, don't take it for granted. When we come to Christ, we come personally into the presence of God. We become one like Moses. We are no longer waiting for Moses to come down off the mountain. Christ has come down off the mountain and come to us. We no longer wait. We no longer have to bow before a cross because Christ came off the cross and has now come to us to be our Savior. They worshipped on a mountain. We can worship anywhere. They worshipped secondhand, waiting to hear what the prophet would say. God, through his word, speaks directly to us through his spirit. And this is why in Hebrews chapter 4, we have this wonderful verse. That unlike the people in the book of Exodus, even though they were brought out of Egypt, and even though they were made a people that God loved, God had to get Egypt out of them and he had to bring them to a place where they had to see God in his holiness. They had to, through the prophets, learn about this one true God. But now for us, notice this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you looking for a shortcut Are you trusting in the God who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Are you simply saying, I think I'll pick and choose? I'll be one way Monday, another way Tuesday. I'm not really sure what I'll be on Sunday. I'll flip a coin that morning and decide. But Exodus teaches us the priority of worship. We think Moses, we think Pharaoh, we think plagues, we think Red Sea. 
God is thinking, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and worship me in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father, when we look at the emphasis on worship in the book of Exodus, the amount of time spent on where they would worship and what that place would be like, the specific details that we would later learn in the book of Hebrews is an image of what is happening in in heaven. That we would be able now through Christ to enter into the holy of holies, that the, the curtain has been torn. A sacrifice has been made once and for all time. And that sacrifice was Jesus. Lord, may we never just take for granted our salvation. May we never take for granted just the access that we have, the freedom in Christ that we have. Lord, when we look at the law and the ceremonies, may we not say that grace is the reason why we get to do whatever we want. Lord, may we worship you and love you because you have revealed yourself. You have given us your word. And it's not a vague word. It's a specific word. It's a pure word. It's a true word. It's a powerful word. So, Lord, help us as we read the Bible to not just go, oh, this is boring. May we instead find Christ on every page. May we instead see your spirit working. May we instead see Satan wanting to get us, to lure us, to get us off track. May we see, though, your salvation always waiting, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, always available to those who come to you. So, Lord, thank you. Lord, if we come discouraged, may we be encouraged by the gospel. If we, feel, if we feel unworthy, may we see the worthiness of Christ who is our substitute. Lord, if we, if we feel like failures, may we stand beside the one who holds us in his arms and says, let me strengthen you and be your portion forever. So Lord, thank you. In your son's glorious and wonderful name we pray. Amen. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to your church's website to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week.